go to law school, wear a suit all the time, join a big law firm, network your way through everything, yada, yada, yada. No longer the case. That's not what it's about anymore. Today, we are all about trying to help attorneys find the right fit for them. And nobody's doing that more or better than Jennifer Gilman, my awesome guest that we have today. For those of you that don't know Jennifer, she's the president of Gilman Strategic Group, a legal recruiting company focused solely on law firm partner placement. Her goal is to help dissatisfied law firm partners and solo practitioners find the perfect fit at another firm, which listen, guys, you send me the message all the time. I know this applies to a bunch of us. Um, and that change can make a dramatic difference in their career and their personal satisfaction. Her superpowers being able to tell in 15 minutes whether a law firm partner would be happier changing firms or if their current firm truly is the best fit. A recovering lawyer herself, Jennifer knows how busy law firm partners are and how overwhelming starting the process of finding a better fit might sound even when you know you need it, even when you got that feeling in your gut. So Gilman Strategic Group commits to taking on as much of the legwork as possible and being there every step of the way to make the process less time consuming and certainly more enjoyable. She received her JD from NYU School of Law and her undergraduate from Brandeis University, graduating magna cum laude. After practicing law for 12 years, she realized that legal recruiting combined her two passions of law and matchmaking. She worked with a full service New Jersey legal recruiting firm for 10 years before following her dream and launching Gilman Strategic Group in 2018, uh, just in time to get enough under you before COVID to uh, really drive yourself nuts. So. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And to give Jennifer an extra wonderful bonus, um, she was supposed to be on earlier, but my kid was sick. And the way that she handled us canceling on her, like literally during the beginning of the show, leads me to know that she is a genuinely awesome human <laughs> being. So for those of you struggling in your current firm, which is a lot of people, you want somebody with the kind, uh, kind shoulder and kind hand to guide you. And you've got a wonderful opportunity here in Jennifer. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And and don't worry about rescheduling. I have kids too. Everyone's been there before. I know. And it's COVID. And like, you know, now it's so funny. People are like, oh, well, uh, the dogs are in the background, this, that. You know, like it's it's life. Like we have, it took us an entire global pandemic to finally be like human beings have real lives and our firm <laughs> and our lives don't have to take, you know, our business doesn't have to take up all of our lives. So I'm super excited for us to have this chat because honestly, because um, obviously this is something that I really talk to people about all the time and can do nothing about, um, and certainly not the way that you can, and actually finding them the right fit. So I'm super excited for us to have that conversation. Before we dive into how one size does not fit all, finding the right fit for everybody, I do want to talk about our last episode briefly. That episode aired on Monday. We had Matt Deutschman on, the man with lots of swag, how to show appreciation through promotional products. Really cool conversation with Matt about um, ways to think about gift giving as well as the way to execute it. And then obviously, as we talked about, um, any of you that are utilizing us to help build your CRM systems, we've got a whole system in place now where we can automate that uh, swag referral gift giving client appreciation thing through Matt's team to get it done all automatically. But enough about that, because I'm super excited. Jen, we shared a little bit of your story, but I want to know, was there like was there that aha moment of I got to get out of law or was it just like, I know I enjoy the matchmaking side so much more? Well, I'm a little different from some legal recruiters who practice law for not very long because they knew right away they didn't like it. I actually really enjoyed my legal practice. I started as a general litigator and it was fun to get paid to go to the library and learn a new topic every time. And 
I really enjoyed that for a while. And then I wanted to get better at something. And my now husband was my boyfriend at the time and he was doing some employment law and his cases sounded so interesting that I signed up for the employment law group at my firm and, and wrote articles and took on some cases. And then I actually did specialize in employment law at another firm for several years. And, and I really liked it. And had we not both been lawyers who had our first child, I might still be practicing now, but I was looking for a way to be at home a little bit more. Our first child is 16 now, and I didn't see her for the first two years when she was awake because we were always, we had moved out to the suburbs for part of it. But even still, it was always such a long day that I was leaving the house or the apartment before she got up and coming back after she was already asleep. And on the weekends when I had some time, I was still working and doing things. And so I was looking for a way to cut down on the commute and have a more regular schedule because we were planning to have another child. And I was actually looking for an in-house position in New Jersey because that's where we live. And at the time I was working with one recruiter who I've remained friendly with because she was fantastic. And another recruiter called me to see if I wanted to apply for that position. I said, well, I already did apply. I had three rounds of interviews. I'm hoping to get selected to speak to the GC next week. And he said, oh, wow, you did a lot better than my candidate. I should have sent you instead. Why don't we have lunch? And the next time I have a role like this, I'll send you. All right, that sounds good. And then he spent the entire lunch trying to convince me to be a recruiter at his company. <laughs> hey, well, it's, it always, it cracks me up. All of my favorite guests, we have always, we're like, we have been through something and now we're helping other people, you know, follow behind us to go through it. And we are being consistent and genuine and authentic with it. So like literally, you know, we're talking about one size uh, doesn't fit all, finding the right fit for everybody. And you're, you lived it. I mean, yeah. you went right through, you know, having to get the, uh, a little bit more time for the, the kiddos, uh, which is great because, you know, Greg, who's producing this, always has the, the running joke. There are legal emergencies, but there aren't really marketing emergencies. So there aren't really <laughs> recruitment emergencies. Um, well, I guess unless you're, <laughs> yeah, well, the people like the, feel like it's an emergency. Right. And, you know, it's supposed to be just temporary. I was going to have another child, wait until both kids were old enough for daycare or preschool and go back to my legal practice. And I had no idea I would like it so much. So well, I found something accidentally that I liked better than practice. Yeah. Well, but it's, it's that difference between like, oh my God, you fired somebody for what? Like you need to call the uh, employment <laughs> law attorney right now versus the like, okay, well now you need to fill the position. So like the recruiting on it, we can get that started as well. I just, I love the, I love that, that transition over. Yeah, well, I I think that there are a lot of similarities between the recruiting I do and my employment law practice, because by the end of the time that I was practicing in a law firm, I was moving away from litigation and moving toward advice and counsel and drafting and training. And so there, there's definitely a, a real human element to that. And I got to know the clients really well, just like I got to know my candidates really well now. So I think that was very helpful. I will tell you, um, employment lawyers tend to have my favorite stories. And like, there are certain <laughs> things you can't share. So Lord knows what stories I haven't heard. But it's always like, hey, you know, so-and-so is running a $47 billion business, and they still were dumb enough to do this. And I always, you know, cracks me up. Like, we're all human, so. 
I appreciate yeah, it. There are some really good stories because there's always a human element to it. So I always explain the difference between my original practice of general litigation. I went to Thanksgiving at my grandmother's and I was working on a big securities litigation case. It was one successor company suing another successor company and nobody could remember what was going on because there were no original employees. So every time there would be a deposition, they'd say, oh, I don't, that wasn't me. I wasn't there then, I can't remember. And it was just kind of boring because of that. And I was trying to explain to her and she said, well, I don't understand. None of these people are the same people. And and they made some money. It was just that the disclosures were inadequate. So the stock price uh, went up, but not quite as much as everybody thought. She's like, they made some money. Why don't they move on and do another deal and leave everybody out of this ready? But with employment law, there's always the guy who applied for a promotion and didn't get it. And he doesn't like who they chose or somebody who got fired or somebody who feels discriminated against. And there are usually two sides to the story. Even when I was representing one side, I could see what the other person, the perspective they had. And you can see why everybody feels riled up enough to pursue a whole litigation over it. And it, it was really interesting on a human level to even non-lawyers. Well, look, I, I, I feel what you're saying. Having, you know, having been an employee, having been an employer, having talked to attorneys, and I love what you identified as your superpower, you know, that 15 minutes <laughs> of really making the determination. So I want to go through that, but I'm trying to figure out, I think the place to start is what are some of the feelings or issues or problems that you have most of your clients having that makes them want to start looking elsewhere and making a move? Well, I think we can put everything under the umbrella of feeling unappreciated or disrespected or like they don't have adequate resources in some way. And then there are different um, variations of that problem. So you might feel unappreciated because you wanted to be head of your department and they selected someone else or because you wanted um, to get a raise and they didn't give it to you or because they didn't you know, there are a lot of different ways of showing appreciation as a firm. And sometimes the messaging is a little bit off with the people you're showing appreciation to. So I think we recently put out um, a blog post about how compensation season is a good time to make people feel unappreciated and disrespected because they feel like, why did that guy get more than I did? Why did she get more? I'm more important to the firm. I've done all these things. And unless it's a firm that has a very strict formula that they follow, that's easy for everyone to understand, somebody is always going to feel left out at the end. And then, you know, in term, and sometimes there are really good reasons to leave a firm that are happy reasons. You know, you have a client that you bet on from the beginning that's growing and growing and they need an international platform now. You represented Jeff Bezos when he was in the garage and now he owns Amazon and your three person law firm isn't going to be able to do it anymore. Sometimes clients ask their lawyers to leave. They need other geographic uh. areas. They need other practice areas. And sometimes on the other side, you're at a big firm that raises rates every January 1st, and it's starting to get a little uncomfortable for the clients to pay that higher rate every year. And they say, hey, Jordan, we could give you so much more work if you could charge about X instead. And there are ways to look for firms where they can be either more flexible on the rates or just happen to charge lower rates based on the type of firm they are. Not every firm 
is at the same price point. So that's a way. And sometimes um, the firm could be the best place in the world for a particular lawyer for 10, 15, 20 years. And then it changes focus. The, there's a new strategy. They want to brand themselves as a cybersecurity experts, but you're a real estate partner. And they start putting all the marketing resources and all the new hires and all the money goes toward the cybersecurity practice and they brand the website that way and they do all kinds of things and then you pay for yourself to go to the conference they used to pay for you to go to and you run into an old friend who says hey jordan i didn't know your your company still did real estate i i see your firm always advertising cybersecurity. i thought you left already so it's really hard to run your practice that way and sometimes yeah. and now in this market it's so hard to find associates at um there are some practice areas where there just aren't enough bodies to go around so they're all fighting with each other and offering crazy signing bonuses and retention bonuses and counter offers and all kinds of things going on and if you're at a firm that can't compete and get you people to work with you then you might be at the office till four in the morning every day and working every weekend and not seeing your family Sometimes it's a culture fit that's bad. You know, on paper, two firms might look exactly the same, but one of them might be a work hard, play hard place where everybody works round the clock and then goes out for drinks. And another one might respect your family time a little bit more. And everybody's proud to talk about coaching the softball game or going to their kids' school play and getting their work done around that. So it, it might depend on what you were looking for as an individual lawyer. See, and I love the example you use in that last one, because like, I know which one sounds amazing to me and which one sounds awful. But I also know that it's not a right and wrong. It's not a uh, it's not a right and wrong. Actually, it's a preference between, you know, for each individual person. Exactly. I had to learn very early on that it's not what I think would be the right thing for a particular candidate that I'm working with. I have to hear what they're looking for. So, for instance, now in this hybrid world, my husband has only been to his office in New York City three times since March 2020, and he's really wow. happy with all this yeah. home option. And most candidates will ask me, oh, well, can I work remotely all the time? Is it okay to work remotely sometimes to have a hybrid? But I also have a candidate I'm working with who asked me to find a firm that made everybody come back to the firm five days a week because he likes to work in the office, but he's the only one there now and he's lonely. So mm. he has other reasons for switching firms, but one of the things he wants to find at the new firm is some friends to be at the office with. <laughs> hey, you know, it's- uh, For everybody. And it's not to me to judge whether that's a better reason to leave or sometimes people leave based on commute or prestige level of a firm. Some, it's not always about money. In fact, a lot of times when presented with multiple offers, one of my partner candidates won't choose the highest one. They'll choose a package that, you know, sometimes is the second highest or in the middle because it offers some other things that they're looking for. Yeah, it's interesting to me, like, I feel like it took the global pandemic for people to be like, and actually think about what you really want. Try and find a job that aligns with what you actually want instead of just punching a clock for 30 years. Yeah, well, I think that um, the takeaway from the pandemic is that uh, the candidates are more in control of the situation. It really is a seller's market lately. So if there's something that a lawyer especially one that has a book of business or is in one of these sought after practice areas, 
is feeling dissatisfied about now seems to be a really good time to make that change. Yeah, no. And, and it's, it's crazy to see the people that are, you know, I've, I mean, like your background, you know, you've been, you did this for 10 years, you did this for 12 years. Like, it's not like you were jumping around every couple months. It's crazy to see these people like finally feel like they can prioritize their own needs. Like they have enough experience or they've, been someplace long enough to actually you know look for something that's a better fit for them which is an interesting concept yeah i mean what's interesting is um lawyers don't have any non-compete agreements so they can move jobs every day if they want to and it, there used to be a stigma against lawyers who moved around too often you wanted to find somebody like me who did something for 10 years and something for 12 years and that sort of thing but I see lawyers moving in less than a year now sometimes. If they get a better offer, sometimes they jump to another firm and there are lawyers that are called boomerang lawyers that go back to the original firm. I, I like that boomerang that lawyer. Have, I try only to place lawyers who are very sure that they want to leave their current firm and they don't want to return. But I can certainly sympathize with that being a problem in the market because that other firm is, is campaigning so hard to keep that lawyer. Yeah, well, I, so I started out as a prosecutor. My wife started out as a PD. So there were a number of boomerang situations. And like, look, going from one large firm to another is a much different thing than going from, you know, the government job to a private job and then realizing like, it's a like, oh, you know, I was only making 50, but I was only working 40 hours a week instead of making 80 and working 90 hours a week or, you know, whatever it breaks down to. So it was an interesting thing to see. I like that term. Boomerang yeah. lawyers. I can't take credit for it, but I think it's very descriptive. Yeah. So, all right, we've got this, we've got this candidate who feels underappreciated, whether it's financial, whether it's decision making, whatever along those lines. What are what are they doing or what are you doing to find a better spot for them? Like what is the how do we begin that process? Well, it's my job to keep an eye on the market and know what it might be like at various other firms. We also pay for some very expensive databases that track a lot of different factors that may, you know, they're public information, but unless you put that information together and track it across certain spreadsheets, you wouldn't get the, the full impact of it. So we certainly do a lot of research, but you know, I do a lot of reading about law firms and law firm gossip all all the time. And I those are the people I network with, the managing partners, the other people who run law firms. I go to bar association activities. I, I network with people in the industry. So it's my job to know, you know, if you're looking for X, the firms that I might recommend are these. And, oh, you mentioned that firm. That's actually not going to give you that thing that you were looking for. And, you know, every firm is a collegial environment and they have work-life balance and they let you have Please, really you know, autonomy and, you know, this and that and the other thing. But not every firm can't be everything to everyone. Right. It's not possible. So it's my job to help steer. And also, I, you know, I, I do collect information from the partner candidate I'm working with. I always ask, you know, when you're practicing, are there any firms that you're on the same side of or that you're across the table from that you particularly admire or particularly think seem like they're not doing a great job or wouldn't be the place you want to work? Like, help me 
understand your likes and dislikes as much as possible. But because I started the company to work with law firm rainmakers, those are those partner level or law firm owner type lawyers that have their own clients, their own portable book of business, they call the shots even when it's not a good economy. So it's like if I were a, a real estate agent and somebody came to me and said, well, I pretty much have an unlimited budget, but here are a whole bunch of things I'm looking for in a house. And sometimes it's really challenging because they're looking for a helipad on the roof and a built-in bowling alley in the basement or whatever you know the analogous situation would be. But if you're bringing that unlimited budget and you have somebody who's really interested in doing the research and finding the possibilities, you get what you want. So those partners who are moving with a portable book of business are moving with revenue for the next firm. So that next firm is usually pretty interested in having a conversation. So that's great. Um, that's a great point. So when it comes to, I guess, actually, hold on, let me, let me pause for a second. So how much of it is the attorney candidate knowing what they want and how much of it is them just knowing they don't like their last spot? Um, I can work with somebody from either position as the, the my superpower really doesn't even take 15 minutes. I think in about three or four questions, I can tell whether somebody doesn't like being a lawyer anymore and just really wants to do something else or got mad one day at work, but really loves it there. And is just feeling disgruntled today. You know, there are a lot of different reasons people reach out to me and usually they've gotten to that last straw moment where things have been kind of bad for a while and in the back of their minds they've been thinking you know maybe i should look around but i don't have time and what if it's worse all law firms are terrible and you know it takes trusting me to talk to me for a few minutes and tell me well what what are the things you think are going wrong so sometimes they say stuff like yeah i need a new firm i just hate keeping track of my time I hate putting in time. I hate the clients and I hate the partners and I just don't like the politics of it. I just, it's like, well, that's actually not something that different law firms do differently. At every law firm, lawyers unfortunately have to keep track of their time in, you know, 10 or 15 minute increments. And and it's not that much fun, but that's how the billing happens. And, you know, in every law firm, you're going to be working with other partners or you're going to have clients. That's just the way it is. So a lot of times those people are better off using, you know, their law degree to maybe find an in-house position or a government position or teach or write a book or do something else. And sometimes I even mention legal recruiting to them because, I, I mean, it, there are a lot of ex-lawyers who are legal recruiters who sure, yeah. get a switch and, you know, it, it helps to know the marketplace. Well, so let me, it's interesting. So I, I guess, let me try to phrase this a different way. And maybe, maybe it depends. It's the ultimate lawyer answer, right? Are a lot of them, are more of them coming to you with like, hey, in my next position, I want the work from home flexibility or not? Or a lot of them coming with like in my last position we had to do this and i hated it or is it really very you know person to person i think 
think usually, although they usually have one thing that spurred them to have that conversation with me, it's usually a longer list than one. So it'll be, okay. I'm looking for more support. I'm looking for a better marketing team. I'm looking for better compensation. I'm looking for a firm that has IP licensing professionals because I'm turning away work. I'm looking for a firm that has a Chicago office, whatever it is. But then once we dig deeper, they're looking for a firm that doesn't have a managing partner they don't get along with, doesn't have a closed uh, system of compensation. So it's a mystery what they get paid every year, doesn't have you know favoritism happening in their department. So they're never going to get to be head of the group. Like there are always some things that they'd like to avoid next time and some other things. We have to make a wish list. So gotcha. we talk about like, Okay, so you're looking for this one thing, and that's why you reached out and scheduled our conversation that we're having today. But if you could put together the perfect job, let's let's write all the things down that we want, just so we can get as close as possible. And sometimes, you know, their wish list is so attainable, it's a little sad sometimes uh -huh. that they've been at the same firm having a bad experience for years when their wish list is so reasonable that they could have switched firms and had that already. But I mean, I there's a lot of a lot of people think every firm is just as bad. You might as well stay with the evil you know. And that's just not the case. Every firm is a different experience for every attorney. I mean my wish list is easy. Million dollars a year to go around the country testing barbecue. Like that's it. That's what I line me up those two things. I'm good to go. All right, so you need to get probably a network TV show, not a food network, but uh, like a big three network, and you probably you sponsorships or something, and maybe you can make it happen. Love it. So oh, I want to go back to something you talked about earlier. So you, you've got this person with a portable book of business. You connected with the right person. You've got this wish list. You get them in the in the door or however you want to phrase it. Well, at our company, we have them work on a business plan, too. It's oh, okay. I don't know if it's unique to just us, but um, later on in the process, just about every firm will have a partner candidate work on a document called the Lateral Partner Questionnaire, or LPQ. And it has a lot of information about who are your current clients and what are you billing and what are your receivables? And then a bunch of questions about whether you've ever been arrested or lost your legal license or things like that. But um, our business plan has some of the the information about their particular book of business. So what's your specialty area? Who are your clients? What kind of work do you do for them year over year? What does that look like? Because that's all going to be for the LPQ. But then we have sort of a narrative resume section and a narrative section about, well, what has brought you to want to look for something else? And what are you looking for in that next platform? And how will you use that new platform? Because that gets them ready for the interview process. And I think that's very important too. A lot of these people have been at the same firm for so many years, they can't remember interviewing. Maybe it was during early interview week for summer associate positions the last time they did it. So I think it helps them feel a little more comfortable. And I also like to have them have to get to the point where in writing, they have to list out some numbers because it's really uncomfortable if they're just kind of guessing. And then later in the process, when they fill out the LPQ, the numbers are very divergent from what they've been saying during meetings. We like to get that all up front. Gotcha. Okay, so 
from that standpoint of the interview, I have to imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have to imagine it's a two-way street, right? Like it's the it's the firm interviewing them, but it's them interviewing this being a better fit. It definitely is. And so, you know, the, there's usually a first round where they see if there's any you know, chemistry or synergy. Does there, does this make sense to move forward? And then there are some rounds that are more about substance. What do you do? Who are your clients? That kind of thing. And once the firm gets to the point where it extends an offer or wants to extend an offer, a lot of times, especially before COVID, there were lunches and dinners and social time together. So you really get to know each other. During COVID, a lot of that happened over Zoom. And I actually placed partners who went through the entire process over Zoom and then began their jobs over Zoom. And it seemed to go fine. I mean, oh, good. A conferencing platform isn't quite the same as meeting in person, but it seemed to be fine. That's awesome. So now met their partners and they like each other, thankfully. Yeah. Well, I look, hey, same for marriage, right? Like you, you meet each other, but then you get married and, and things change between the, uh, oh, hopefully for the better. But anyway, so along those lines, though, like what's, let's phrase this the right way. What advice are you giving the candidate on making sure this is a better fit from their perspective? Or is that something more that you're kind of doing like a debrief with them afterwards or both? Well, I usually say that they should go into the first meeting with an open mind. Let's just be, you know, open-minded and, and hear what the firm has to say and let them know what your practice is like. You know, we've always submitted the business plan ahead of time. I've spoken with the managing partner, whoever's in charge of hiring at the firm. We have done a write-up. I mean, they should have all the information they need to have a really clear vision of who this partner is. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen every time. So sometimes I'm submitting, you know, a, a labor and employment partner and they're asking about real estate transactions during the meeting. And there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect. But I, I always say, you know, like, let's let's go into it with an open mind. We've talked about why this firm is a good fit and we review why that particular firm is a good fit, whether it's office location or practice areas or the type of people they'll be working with. And another thing that is a, a real driver for some people is succession planning at the law firm. Sometimes there's a partner that's nearing retirement age that has a nice book of business and they're looking for somebody to come in and gradually take over those clients. So it's a way to go from having, you know, a million dollar book of business to having a $2 million book of business, just, you know, walking in. And sometimes it's an opportunity for somebody who has a very modest book of business that ordinarily wouldn't be quite enough for that firm to want to talk to them to come in and inherit some new clients so that the firm would be interested. And, um, you know, it, it gives them a, a way of being considered for a job that they ordinarily wouldn't have been because the firm as that one partner retires wants to make sure there's a smooth transition for those clients. So, that's interesting. I never thought of, I mean, I look, I've been the farthest from big law as per, this is what I normally wear to work. But anyway, um, I, I think that's fascinating. And so from the flip side of that though, like we have probably, we have more solo and small firm owners, I think, listening to this. There's going to be some people that are solos that know they're miserable. This has been great insight for them. But from that business owner or that firm owner looking to grow, 
what insight, wisdom, guidance, advice do you have for them when it comes to the hiring process from the hirer, not the hiree? Well, actually, I would, before we talk about that, tell them that about half of my practice is helping solo practitioners and small firms that have been really hitting it out of the park and doing very well, but then they reach a revenue ceiling at some point where when you're doing all the hiring and firing and billing and accounting and marketing and everything else, ordering the coffee and the paper, you can only grow your own practice so much. And at some point you're you're turning work away because you don't have capacity or because you don't have the correct um, type of legal practices at your firm. So there's usually a choice at some point whether you want to grow the firm you have or you want to merge that firm or that practice into a medium sized or larger firm. And that's actually something that I've done before, but it's also now becoming a trend because it's so hard to find really good people in this tight market for the larger law firms that they're absorbing whole practice areas and whole firms instead of individual partners and groups mm. in, in an effort just to be able to get the talent that they need. So it's a it's a chance for a lot of these people who have had a good time running their own firm, but have really run out of excitement for you know being the chief cook and bottle washer and would like to go to a firm that offers the resources to grow their practice and have um, a chance for cross referrals and cross marketing with the other partners and have a chance to just focus on their own practice and their own clients and not having to run the back office stuff anymore. Makes perfect sense. All right. So I, I guess for somebody before that stage or hesitant about that stage, what, like, what should an interviewer, what should the managing partner, what should the hiring partner be looking for to find great candidates during these interviews? I think you want to, you, or if I were the person conducting the interview, I would be asking questions about the individual practice and clients to make sure that there are no obvious red flags or conflicts. Sometimes there's a practice area that's not a good fit for a particular firm because the clients are so different from the firm clients that you have now, or the rate structure is so different, or the way they bill is so different, or their clients might cause conflicts with the type of clients the firm normally brings in. So sometimes there's a reason that it's not a good fit. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you like the person you're talking to or whether they seem nice and have portable business. It's just not a, a really good fit for that reason. And on the personal side, I mean, they're Almost every firm will tell you that they have a rule, no jerks allowed. And sometimes they use more colorful language for that. But, but it's a law firm, right? Isn't it? I thought it was only jerks allowed. Not, not every firm follows it. So like I actually, I had a, a partner candidate once and um, he since has joined a firm, sadly, without me through a personal relationship he had. But um, I, I brought him to a couple of firms and just... Um, I was, it was still in the beginning stages. I was talking with hiring partners and managing partners and one hiring partner said, oh, is it so-and-so? Yeah, um, not only won't I hire him, but if my firm chooses to hire him, I will quit and stop practicing law. Wow. <laughs> and then that another how you firm, really feel in that situation. <laughs> and then the firm that hired said, yeah, we've heard that he is a big personality and he's kind of a jerk against his um, opposing counsel, 
but we feel like that's him being a real advocate for his clients. And if he's on our side and we're all partners, we're going to be on, you know, friendly on the good side together. We don't have to go against him if he's here. Uh, yeah. like, oh. And they, um, they hired him and it's been about three, four years and he's still there. So they must've been it. But I did have, there was a firm that I worked with a lot that was really in need of a partner in a particular practice group. And I found one and I, oh, I've got this guy and they interviewed him and they're like, yeah, we weren't feeling it. We have such a nice culture that we've developed over time and we've tried really hard to keep it going. And he's just a little abrasive and his style is so different from the style of our firm that we've tried so hard to cultivate that we just think it's we're gonna have to pass we know we told you how much we needed somebody in that practice area and he's got a real book of business but we just we just hire nice people we're sorry and you know it's nice to hear that sometimes because now i can tell a different candidate who says, well, what about this firm? I heard, you know, maybe it's not so nice over there. I can tell them the story of when I had a partner in just the right practice area with just the right book of business that they passed on because they care so much about their culture and about only having nice people to work with. So, you know, it was helpful for the firm and in a branding way. Totally. So that brings up a good question um, as we're as we're getting towards the end here. What's the timeline look like for these switches? I mean, I know it's going to vary, but like, what's the, what's the quickest somebody's moved that you've seen? What's the longest it's been? Well, I can probably only talk about the placements that I've made because I think that I don't really have enough information about somebody else. Sometimes when we're at industry conferences, people are like, oh, I just made a placement out in the hallway. <laughs> Sometimes they're exaggerating. Yeah. Fastest one that I ever made was five weeks. Okay. And that was very, very fast for a partner placement that was extraordinarily fast. There was a reason that it had to be that fast. There was a new client that was coming in and the partner who was the Rainmaker partner of the group was very interested in bringing the new client into the next firm, not into and, the current firm. And just want to jump for a second. So the five weeks, that was five weeks from when they first talked to you until when they moved or that was five weeks from when they had their first interview until they moved over or like what, what was I the weeks from when they first talked to me till when they received an offer. Okay. So that, got it. I, I can't stress enough though, that that's extraordinarily fast and I cannot promise those results again. Right. Uh, the typical uh, timeline would be, I think between three and six months and okay. it's closer to it. three. If you let the firm know you're in a rush, you have a particular timeline and you're very responsive during, there are a lot of times where you have to set up a meeting as the mm. candidate, you have to make yourself available for a call or a meeting, you have to fill out some paperwork, you have to follow up or answer a question. And lawyers are so busy that sometimes, you know, their delay causes a little bit of time to go by. But on the other side, sometimes we don't know what's going on at a law firm. They may be bringing in a large group or contemplating a merger or doing their compensation for the year or their hiring of summer associates or any number of those things at the same time. So sometimes the firm is unable to move, you know, in five weeks, even if we want them to. For instance, several years ago, someone called me and we scheduled the lunch for December 23rd. And at the lunch, she told me, I want to be somewhere else the first week in January. 
And I said, well, um, Jerry, uh, here. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was actually able to get him some interviews. Wow. Um, for, uh, they were not the first week of January, but the second week of January. And, you know, that was just the first round interview. And it is impossible to move in two weeks unless, I mean, I'm sure there's there's some, some story where somebody did. And in this really tight cutthroat market, especially if it was somebody in a practice area that's a little bit in demand now, like um, a lot of the transactional corporate areas are, are very scarce to find people. So if it was an oh, MBA okay. corporate partner who had business or who even didn't have business and had a particular timeline, the firms might try and move heaven and earth to get it done as fast as possible, but they might not be able to. And the slowest it ever was, was 13 months. And that okay. was actually because the candidate wasn't quite ready and pulled the, the brakes a little bit and so gotcha. down. So there, there is some variation, but that's why, you know, now we're talking, it's the middle of November. This is a really good time to be talking to a recruiter. If you think you want to be somewhere else in the first quarter of next year, because that's kind of how long it takes. You can't, you know, I understand everybody gets a last draw or a last bonus or a last payment of some kind. It doesn't make sense if your firm is on a calendar year or fiscal year to leave right now. But talking to a recruiter doesn't mean you're leaving right now. It means you're starting the process and you're always in control of your own schedule. You can meet with firms and tell them that you're not ready to leave until July and they'll decide whether that makes sense for them or not. So the candidate is always in control of the schedule of when the interviews happen, how long they have to decide after they get an offer, like a lot of different things that people get very stressed out about are the things that if they took a deep breath, they would realize there's a lot of um, flexibility with. Awesome. All right. So as we get towards the end, um, is there anything else that you want to make sure we cover, you share, and you'll get your final, you know, we'll do the final takeaway, um, but I just want to make sure there's nothing huge that I'm missing. Well, I do think that working with a recruiter, even for a very well-connected partner, makes a lot of sense. I'm working with a candidate now who is well-known enough in his practice area that he had some friends, and when he expressed that he might be willing to move his firm that he was running in merge it into another firm, somebody at a very good firm said, oh, you know, I think my firm might be looking, let's set up a meeting for you. And it progressed. And they offered him an equity partnership and a role on the management committee. And they promised him all kinds of resources and support. And he moved his practice there without meeting with any other firms. And it turned out to not be a great fit because mm. his practice didn't really line up so well with their practice and the way he built wasn't really quite the same. And some of the things that are very frustrating to him now could have been prevented if he had seen a whole view of the market and made a list of firms that really fit what he was looking for and lines up a little bit better with his practice area and how he builds and those sorts of things, even though it's a very good firm. And he even at this point has nothing bad to say about them as a firm. It's not a good place for him. So I think even those partners that think they know everybody, you know, everybody who's in your social circle or the people you went to law school with or the people you happen to run into, you really don't make a 
you know, your whole career on knowing the entire market in your geographic area. That's what recruiters do. Love it. All right. So let me talk about our next episode and then we'll come back for that final takeaway. Um, so today is Thursday, the 18th. Our next episode is going to air on Monday, Monday, November 22nd at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. So that would be one hour later than you watch this show on Monday, the 22nd. We've got Terrell Turner coming in, who's going to share about his content journey. So Terrell is a CPA who works with a ton of attorneys, and it's some really interesting insight on the content that he has put out there that has really helped him drive his firm, uh, drive his I guess it's still a firm, his practice, his company, whatever we want to call it. So uh, that being said, though, Jennifer, I'm not going to let you go without that final <laughs> nugget of wisdom, that biggest takeaway. So most people watching this, you know, solos, small firms, or attorneys ready to do their branding standpoint. If somebody's been listening to this for the last 50 minutes, remember nothing that you said except what you're going to share here. What would be your biggest piece of advice for how they can be the exhibit A of a successful lawyer? And it can be something you've already shared. It can be something totally different. Well, I think they should understand that it's a very busy recruiting market now. So if they're in the market to add some more lawyers to their firm, or if they want to see what the market looks like for them, reaching out to a recruiter is a, a no obligation kind of action. The only way that I get paid is if somebody accepts an offer and actually works at the firm that they've accepted the offer with. So mm -hmm. I would urge everyone who has a question to reach out to me or to another recruiter that they trust because, I mean, there are so many questions that we can answer because it's our job to know the market very well. And on my website, there's even a confidential Q&A form that they can submit if they don't want people to know that they were even thinking about it. So gotcha. I, I can answer questions without even knowing who you are as long as you describe the question well enough. But I'd be happy if anybody wanted to reach out and just make sure that their compensation sounds fair, whatever's going on at their firm that they're a little bit dissatisfied about. Does that sound about average in the market? Does it sound like something that could be corrected? And sometimes there are ways to fix the situation where they already are and there's no need to move. Totally. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. So, and uh, Jennifer, I believe, today or yesterday joined our Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers Facebook group. So if anybody's got yeah. some questions <laughs> over there, she will be in the group, especially for things as it comes to recruiting, uh, what's an acceptable level of aggravation, what's an acceptable salary, what's not. So I hope y'all will join us over on our Facebook page, Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers. But seriously, Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, to everybody listening and watching, we'll see you on Monday the 22nd at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Have a wonderful day.